Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Audio Know How podcast with me, Ethan Ramsey. This week we're talking about gain staging, what is gain staging, and how to have good gain staging, and the techniques that I use to make sure that you have good gain staging through the recording, mixing, and mastering process. And I also want to talk a bit about stereo imaging and how it's important to have a really good stereo image in your mix. So firstly, what is gain staging? The best way I can describe it is with an example of bad gain staging. So let's say we've got a guitar plugged into an amp and if the level on my guitar going into the amp is really quiet, I'm going to have to crank that amp up really loud to even get some something of a signal going through it. And this can deteriorate the sound. And when you're trying to replicate that through a microphone, you'll have to have the microphone preamp gain up really loud. And again, going along this long chain all the way from the recording stage to the master, that sound is slowly going to deteriorate over time. So if you have a good level on your guitar, a good level on the amp, then you're not going to have to push the preamp on the microphone too much. And then all the way through to the mastering stage, you're going to have a good consistent level. And this is what gain staging is all about. Secondly, when it comes to mixes, you need to have good gain staging. And we've all had mixes where you're looking through your faders on your mix and everything's going red and clipping and you're just lost and you ran out of headroom and you have nowhere to go. And this is really important to not get to that point because once you've ran out of room, you've ran out of room, especially in the digital world where once you're clipping, you are clipping. There is no going back. You can't, you can't rescue a digitally clipped signal ever. So next, let's talk about recording with gain staging. So to have good gain staging when recording, especially if you're recording something loud, like maybe a drum kit, for example, and you're using uh, condensers, which are very sensitive microphones, think about if you need to use a pad that's on the microphone. A lot of microphones have pads built into them. And if not, coming in through the desk, you can use a pad on the desk. And then that means you have a lot more control over the signal and you're not clipping from the get-go, and then you can record it in with a clean and good level. So when I'm talking about recording with a good level, this is the minus six to minus three area. Anything around there is the best level you can have for recording something and describing the dynamic range in the best possible way. So next, I wanna talk about my rules that I have for gain staging with my mixes. So these are rules that I use and they might not work for everyone, but they work really well for me in terms of giving me plenty headroom when it comes to a mix. I never struggle with headroom using these rules. So the first thing I do when I open a mix, let's say I'm doing a mix for someone else, um, Every fader I have is at set at minus 12. And the reason I do this, so I am telling myself that the highest the fader can go is minus 12. So I'm pretending that zero dB is actually minus 12. And all of my faders can be minus 12 or below. They cannot be above this. And when you're working on your mix, you'll find that by doing this, you have plenty headroom. If it's not loud enough, just stick a limiter on the master for the time being, just so you can have some level pushing out. And then when you finish your mix and you have all this headroom, you'll have 
so much headroom. Maybe use the the rear bus technique, which is parallel compressing the whole mix. And this will beef up your RMS level a bit. And then you've still got plenty room for mastering to get those levels up to where you need them to be for the mastering stage. But by doing this, you are never struggling for headroom ever because it's you're starting at minus 12 and you're never going above that. Bearing in mind, if you're using groups, so I mix quite often Ableton, and in Ableton I love the group functions, and you can have groups within groups. So I don't mind clipping individual channels as long as my group fader is at minus 12. So the overall level of that group is coming out at minus 12. That is fine. One thing that I don't think is mentioned enough uh, when mixing with gain staging is plugins. So it's really, really important to have good gain staging going through plugins because plugins will act differently depending on how much level is going into them. And certain plugins have an optimum level that needs to go through them for them to be able to work best. An example of this is I was mixing a vocal the other day and I didn't realize this, but the vocal sounded really harsh and I didn't know why. And I went back and it was because I was clipping into a de So this meant the de was working way too hard and it was deteriorating the signal and almost distorting it in a way. And I just got a utility plugin, pulled it down maybe 6 dB before it hit the de and it completely fixed it and it sounded so much better and you can just make up that gain afterwards add the 6 db afterwards if you need to but it's really important that you're going through the plugin at the level it needs to be sometimes it is nice to clip through plugins i really like clipping through um like vintage eq plugins but i won't actually eq the signal so i'll literally just run through the plugin clipping but then make sure i bring the level down afterwards so for my plugins I'm using after that, they have got their optimum level. But definitely be aware of this when you're going through plugins that it's going to affect the sound a lot if you're not going through at the plugins optimum level. Next, I'd like to talk about mastering with gain staging and understanding how small changes in mastering make a huge effect. So when you're mastering, you're affecting the whole signal. You're affecting the final stereo file that is going out. So if you're doing something like EQing and you're adding four decibels at 60 hertz, that might sound great on a kick drum, but if you're doing it over the whole master, that'll have a huge effect because those four decibels might hit the next plugin differently, which hits the next plugin differently, which makes your limiter limit by 60B more. Who knows? By the time you get to the end of your mastering chain, it can have a, a massive knock-on effect. So you have to be aware of this. My general rule with this is to try and not do anything more than two decibels with mastering. So that's with, with everything. So EQing, compression, everything. Obviously, this isn't set in stone. Sometimes I may break the rules, but it's a good rule to have in the back of your mind to have good gain staging when it comes to mastering. And after talking about good gain staging for this whole entire episode, I am just going to say that sometimes you really do have to break the rules though. So you might have a mix that sounds great and your bass is clipping. It's hard clipping. You've recorded it clipping 
and it just sounds great. It doesn't sound the same if it's not clipping and you just want to leave it clipping. That is fine. It's fine to break the rules occasionally. If I am going to record something that is clipping because I like the sound of it, I might do a backup recording that isn't clipping just to stay safe so I can always go back to the other one if need be. And maybe if you're going through, let's say, a, a guitar pedal and you, you really want to clip the signal and record it, that's fine, but record a dry version just as a backup. Okay, so let's move on to talk about stereo imaging. So when recording, if you want something to sound stereo and wide, record it in stereo. That is the most basic rule I can give you. If you want a, let's say, an acoustic guitar to be nice and wide in stereo, get your two mics, put them left and right, pan them left and right, that is your stereo recording. If you're recording something in mono and you want it to be stereo, you're giving yourself a harder job later on in the mix to widen it with things like stereo wideners. Double tracking is also key to make things wide and mono compatible. When you're recording and you want something to be wide and stereo and thick, but you want it to be mono compatible, if you double track it, it can sound nice and wide in the mix, but it will collapse down to mono very nicely. And it is essential when recording big guitar layers as well. It's really important to double track them because then you're widening them and pushing them out without sacrificing your mono compatibility. The best way to record something in stereo and to have it 100% mono compatible is to record mid side. So recording mid side is having a cardioid microphone facing directly to the sound source and then on top of it, a figure of eight microphone that is facing the left and right, not actually pointing directly towards the sound source. And by doing this and inverting the phase of one of them, the microphone that's got the mid signal only has the mid signal and the one that has the sides only has the sides. So therefore, when you collapse down to mono, it perfectly phases out and you're left with a 100% mono compatible signal which is a great thing to think about if you're recording uh, really wide vocals, for example. It's a great way to record wide vocals and still not sacrifice your mono compatibility. So next we'll talk about mixing. So the best way to make something stereo when mixing is uh, stereo panning your double tracks left and right. So if you hard pan something left and right and it's double tracked, it's going to get wider. Now, if you want it even wider, but in a subtle way and not in a way that a stereo widener would do it, a good technique that I use that doesn't sacrifice your mono compatibility is the EQ technique. So you send your signal to two EQs on buses that are hard panned left and right. You do subtle changes, maybe a high shelf at 10K, a notch at 4K, taking out some 2.5K, just random little notches that you want and then put it on the other bus that's panned in the opposite direction and invert exactly what you've done. So this is subtly changing the signal left and right and our ears will notice that and it will be perceived as a wider signal but it's still monocompatible because it's not using stereo wideners. And moving on, this is what I'm talking about now. So it's stereo widening effects. You need to be very careful with them. Some of them are really great, and as technology is getting better, stereo widening is improving a lot. 
but I would always, always, always check in mono that it's not degrading your sound in any way. So any kind of chorus or stereo widener, put your master output in mono and check it's not degrading your sound too much. Another thing to think about when mixing is always get rid of the unwanted bass in the sides. Sometimes you might want a, a wide stereo bass and that's fine, but if you don't want it, take it out. It's, it's wasting your space and wasting your mono compatibility because when it's collapsing down into mono, that information that you don't even need is degrading your sound. So always be aware of that. If you don't want it to be in the sides, take it out of the sides. And finally, moving on to mastering. So you have to really be aware that sub-bass phases out in a very severe way. If something's gonna phase out in a very bad way, the first thing you'll notice is sub-bass. It'll completely disappear in a track when you collapse it down to mono if it's not mono compatible. A thing to be aware of as well when mastering is when cutting to vinyl, um, vinyl can't actually have any stereo information below 150 hertz so if you are making a track and you do want it to be cut to vinyl at some point you might want to be aware of this that you don't want anything stereo below 150 hertz and even for a modern track that's going out to just a, a streaming service and not vinyl anything below 80 hertz that is stereo you have to be very careful of i'm not saying it it can't be there, it can, but you have to really be 100% confident that it's not degrading your sound when collapsed down into mono. And this is moving on to my final point, which is if you want a very wide mix, it's always going to sacrifice itself in some way going down into mono, especially with kick drums. If you have a nice wide kick, let's say it's a big stomp, with loads of reverb, very wide, it sounds great in stereo, it is going to degrade in mono whether you like it or not. And you can go through all the processes of trying to make it more mono compatible, but at the end of the day, it is going to degrade it in some way going down into mono. And you may not be too bothered by this, um, or it could completely degrade your whole mix. It's At the end of the day, it's just by ear what you think is best as long as you're just always careful with these sub-frequencies and how they act when collapsed down into mono. And that is it for this week's episode of Audio Know How with me, Ethan Ramsey. Don't forget to check out my social media and ask me any questions about this week's episode. If you have any ideas for any other episodes that you want to see me do, please let me know on my social media. And thanks for listening.